everyone, my name is Alicia Webb. I'm a self-proclaimed news junkie. I love telling stories and I love helping other people tell their unique story. This podcast is a chance to hear from people who have pivoted in their lives and careers, taken that leap, struck out in a bold new direction, and never looked back. This is The Power of the Pivot. Diana Lowe is the CEO of Blue Light Leadership a leadership development company focused on educating, training, and coaching emotional intelligence for remote leaders. She's an executive coach who works with C-suite executives and Fortune 500 companies to transform their team spirit and communications. Her company focuses on using evidence-based research from positive psychology to combat the rising stress and anxiety in leaders during the Great Resignation. So hi, Diana, how are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. So I like to start by learning a little bit more about your company. What is Blue Light Leadership? You're the CEO. Talk a little bit about the company, what you do. So Blue Light Leadership educates coaches and trains remote leaders on emotional intelligence so that companies can keep their top talent. As you know, right now, we're on a war for, you know, just finding people and the people who are out looking for jobs, they're receiving crazy offers. Some companies can't keep up and some can, and the ones that can, they, you know, take all the talent. But really what it's about is helping your top leaders. Sometimes they have difficulties keeping talent and how they manage and their leadership style. And really we're about just helping make sure the leader is creating the best possible environment. So sometimes there are leaders who get stuff done, but they're not too worried about the people element of it. And that's where we help when we say, you know, like, let's look at the whole picture and we expose blind spots. And then sometimes you have a leader that they have absolutely a heart for the people, but they lack accountability. So we look at how how we can find a good balance for both of those types of leaders. That's fascinating. Is there something significant about Blue Light? How did you land on that name? Oh, that's a a good question. So Blue Light actually came from all of the work that we do in front of Blue Light. So our laptop is a Blue Light, our tablets are a Blue Light, our phone screens. And that's just how most of us have come to do our work. So we, Blue Light is a nod to working in front of our computers 24-7, our phones, our tablets, and all of our That's fascinating. But talk a little bit about how you got into coaching because you have a finance background. You studied business. What led you to coaching? That's kind of a dramatic transition. It is, but it also makes so much sense. So in my undergrad, I actually studied supply chain management. Even more random that you left supply chain. What you, I mean, they could use you in supply chain these days, but go ahead. <laughs> so, like, I feel like when I was went to university, I didn't have enough knowledge to know what the world had to offer. So I did supply chain management. It was a great degree with a minor in international business. So my goal after graduating was to work in finance because that's that was a dream that somebody had implanted in me, I like to say, and it sprouted. So during my internship, I was able to get uh, position in the London office. And I worked in finance abroad as an expat in the UK and in Dublin. And so I really started my early career in finance. But as I found, it was a, a crisis that I was in because when somebody implants a dream within you and it starts to germinate and starts to produce fruit, you know, 
I found like I, I wasn't in alignment and I was started, I was in a world that I wasn't fully aligned with. And I had really terrible situations at work. It really played on my mental and emotional health, on my physical health. And it got really bad for me. So as I was working on myself in my career and trying to just survive, honestly, just emotionally surviving the toxic culture, I started finding things outside of work that I really loved doing. And really it was about communication and it was about people. And that's where I started to thrive. I started to win um, contests and get awards for speaking and doing public speaking contests in general. So then I realized, you know what? I'm in the wrong field. And as I look to find my ideal work situation, my ideal, you know, they ask you that question. If you could do something for free, what would it be? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's a good interview question. It's a good way to find out about people. It is. And it's also a terrible idea in practice. (laughs) So I found something. It didn't pay me much. And after a while, you become resentful. (laughs) Yeah. I think we can all agree with that because we, I think we all have that. And especially when when we were like in our 20s, it's, I love doing this, but can I get paid to do it? Exactly. So you, you start giving value, you start doing something and you're not getting like, it's, it's not a reciprocal situation. So as I just, I knew that I loved working with people. I knew that I loved the professional development. So I looked to work in that and leadership development. And then I, it's just such a natural progression because as I started to do leadership development, at first it started in sales, right? So we're selling. Oh, that makes sense. Um, yeah, we're selling different programs. And so then as we as I did the sales, I would train and coach what I sold. So the natural progression was there because I saw the coaching as a modality. And I, I was like, oh, this makes sense for me. Because it took a lot of courage to listen to myself. I mean, and you're now that you are a coach, how do you tell people to find that courage? Because that is the hard part, right? When you're when you're making a shift, when you're making a jump, how do you tell people to find the courage? Well, I think number one, working with a coach is finding the courage. At that time, because it was like pre-coaching era, I didn't really have somebody to support me. And there's a, a philosophy of like, oh, just shut up and do it. You know, just like, don't whine about your feelings and just do it. And become more of a sensitive soul. <laughs> I needed a little bit of handholding. So it took a while for me to figure out. And I saw people getting coaching certifications. For me at the time, they were so expensive. And maybe some people still feel like that, like, God, so expensive. So there was uh, one day I just had to make a choice. I was like, even though I know I can do this, like in theory, if people need to hire you, they need to see X, Y, Z. So I had to make a choice within myself. And I think the courage came easily when I decided what's right for me. And I don't know if that's for everybody, but I was, I made a determination that I am going to do this. Pardon. So why why step into coaching? You were in sales, you were in finance. Why not just transition to say HR? Or, you know, a lot of companies have sales trainers. Why not play the safer route? What made you take the leap and said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this coaching thing? And so that's a really good question because I feel like I don't know what it is, but our body is a brain, right? So our body has intelligence that we cannot always put into words. And no matter how hard I tried, 
I did try that route, but it just didn't feel right in me. And I tried and I was like, well, maybe I should do this. But physically, my body wouldn't let me. I don't know if you've ever Isn't had that. Isn't that funny like, that like your body tells, I mean, we need, we should listen to our bodies, right? We should. Because I would be like, oh, I, let me go apply for this job in the past. Physically, my hands wouldn't even move. Like I'm like, apply, apply. So there's some inner knowing. And trust me, time after time, I have had this conversation with myself. Why don't I do sales? Why don't? And it just, I, I'm in full alignment. And when you're in full alignment, for me at least, my body like literally takes over. And my, my heart takes over, you know, so it's a weird phenomenon I experienced. <laughs> well, I mean, but good for you for recognizing it. So what have you learned the most about yourself going through this, this, this change from, from finance and business to coaching? Like you recognized your body rejected this notion of taking an HR role, for, for example, but what else did you learn about yourself? Cause it's, it's such a process. I mean, you, you took a really big step. It is a process. And I think the first in my 20s, I learned that although I had, I had assumed somebody else's dream for me. So I think that was identifying that that wasn't actually my dream was the first step is that with all the good intentions, my environment, whether it's professors or parents or guardians, you know, people around me, they had great intentions for me. So they said, you know, they would suggest things. So those suggestions sprouted into something, but recognizing that I was in a garden, but not my own garden was like, wait, where, what am I doing with my life? Right. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is like, like I was saying, your brain sometimes wants to take over. But what I find is that my body ends up taking over. And there would be times where I would, you know, be really upset or crying. Like, this is really hard and I don't want to do this anymore, but my body was relentless. Like, you're going to keep doing this. And I think for me, it was like for so long, I cannot even tell you for so long, I ignored how I felt. It just said, get up and get on with it, get up and get. And then it was a turning point when it was just like, I actually ended up having to take six months off of work oh and goodness. go. And yeah. was, for, so was that six months you were under and in, in, in taking classes? Is that when you were actually? No, I was under sick leave and oh, I had man. to go into therapy and I had to like, understand what was happening because I couldn't stop crying. I couldn't compose myself because I just hadn't listened to myself for so long. I would wake up and cry from the second I opened my eyes to the end of the day and I couldn't physically go to work. And it was because I was so out of alignment and I wasn't listening to myself. So during my time, it was, it was a place where you go to, it's like a therapy I don't know. It was in, in the UK. Like a, like a retreat kind of a thing? Like you went? It was a retreat, but it was like prescribed to get better and to Good heal. For you. I just, I, 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 I admire how open you are and how willing you were to a, acknowledge it and just, and take care of yourself. It's not like a shame thing for me. I think a lot of people go through that and whether they go somewhere or not, I, I luckily had the support through my doctor at that time to say, no, you are clinically depressed. And I feel like I'm one of the happiest people in the world. So to say that I was clinically depressed just didn't even make sense to me, but it was because I wasn't listening to myself. And so I just found that when I was there, I started to listen to myself. And also crucially, I got perspective and I learned just about my situation. I was like, oh, I can change this. Good for you. Now you said you were assuming someone else's dream. 
What do you mean by that? Did you you mean like your parents or loved ones were telling you, go do this, study this, and you just, you, you didn't fight it? Because I, I think that happens to a lot of people. That's how a lot of people end up in certain careers or certain, you know, phases or even living in certain cities. I think through social, well, not so much when I was younger, because we didn't really have social media in the same way. But I think through social media, through hustle culture narrative, through grind narrative of what we currently have through well-meaning parents, well-meaning guidance counselors, they offer suggestions to young people, which just to give them a direction. Like if you're feeling, because I don't know if at 18, you really know what you want for your life. Mm -hmm. So to offer a direction at least gives them somewhere to start. And some people are born knowing what they want to do, which is amazing. And I've always admired that. But for me, I wish somebody would have said, you know, you're really more of a people person. You should consider these. Everyone was just like, go into engineering. I don't want to be, I tried engineering. For- You've tried everything. Oh my goodness. I'm jealous. You have tried, you've tried it all. Well, I failed at engineering because it's all math-based and math, I was about yeah. the people. And it's, you know, maybe if I tried harder, but business seemed to make sense for me during college, right? So supply chain management, they were just like, pick a career. I didn't fail at it, but it just, it wasn't my dream. So I had these dreams and I had these dreams. They were growing in me to go do something, but it's not mine. And you don't know that until you do something that's not yours. You, in your practice, in your coaching practice, you focus on positive psychology. Talk about what what that is. How is that different from any other psychology that we hear about or even that we study? Because I, I I imagine it's very different from that one psychology class I took in college many years, very long, long time ago. <laughs> so we focus on emotional intelligence and those are, emotional intelligence is a set of behaviors that helps us perceive, understand, and manage our behaviors. So in using that, we also couple that with positive psychology. And positive psychology is the study of what goes right with people, what is well about people, what helps them thrive. And my interest personally is to really help leaders thrive as opposed. So psychology typically looks at the maladies of could be the brain, could be of um, our mindset, our psyche, you know. And what I'm more interested in personally is how do we help people thrive? Because that's that's about resilience. It's about uh, self-compassion, empathy, and things that are really not yet studied. This is a relatively new field. It's only been around for about 30 years. So there's a lot of really great researchers doing really good work here. And it's really helping people shift their focus. So psychology is important too. It's good to know about what's not working as much as what is working. But for our history, up until 30 years ago, they really focused on what was not working well in the human mind to solve that. Interesting. Now, you work primarily with those in the C-suite and executive level. Talk about how you coach them. What makes someone an effective leader? And I think that's so critical now in this in this world we're in where so many people are remote. What makes someone a good leader? Ooh, that's as broad as it is deep. So I like this question because I think at the end of the day, when I think about a person being an effective leader, it's about them engaging their emotional intelligence. So I hear a lot, oh, it was so much easier when people were in the office and I could just go to their desk and, you know, I had such a better relationship with people. And now it's so difficult. 
But what I wonder is, did you have a good relationship? Were you actively building that relationship? Because just because you see somebody or have a touching point with them, like it doesn't child, mean it's a relationship, right? And it doesn't mean that you know anything about them. It doesn't mean that you're building things. So from my point of view, I don't see remote as very different to in-person. I think both take effort. And I think if you really audit your relationship and how you build relationships with somebody, you can see, oh, you know what? It's really not that different. It's about being interested, asking them how they're doing and caring, which some people don't care. And And that's okay. I mean, that's you can't force them to care, right? But I think... In my mind, being an effective leader these days is speaking the person's language and understanding what language they speak. And to me, that's emotional intelligence. So for example, if you are a people person, I'm not going to come talk to you about past focused problems because that's not your language. I'm going to come and talk to you and say, we have these problems and this is how it's affecting our people speak in their language. And that's really where you see inspirational leadership, motivational they're understanding you. They're making you feel valued. They're making you feel heard and seen. So how do people improve on their emotional intelligence? I mean, it's, you just mentioned a couple examples of what people should focus on in the workplace, but how do we get better just as employees and people? How do we improve on that? I love working on emotional intelligence because it doesn't just affect your work life. It affects your home life. So the richer, the more words you have for emotions, like your emotional vocabulary the more emotions you can pinpoint within yourself and you can say out loud, that's how we really start. Instead of saying, oh, I feel bad. I feel stressed. I feel overwhelmed. Big overarching words. If you really sit down with yourself, for example, and you, you think about something that happened at work and you say, I really feel deflated and devalued because X, Y, Z happened. When you get really specific with the words, there's knowledge in there. And that's what I realized. My body was trying to tell me something. My emotions were trying to tell me something. They weren't using words though. It was using pain. It was using sleeplessness. It was using different modalities to kind of wake me up. And our emotions hold deep, deep, rich information, but we have to be brave enough to listen to them and take action. So now that I know that I'm feeling deflated, then I can ask myself, did I have enough water today? Did I eat a good meal? Did I get enough sleep? Right. So then we can start taking action or maybe it's, I'm feeling jealous of happy for this coworker, but jealous that they got an award. So maybe that's saying, you know, maybe I need to raise my game or have a better network. It's giving us indications that we often just ignore. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really interesting. So how can leaders in, in these days and times approach work? How do they maintain that, that positive place that people want to show up to? How do they maintain that? We're not all in the same place. We're, you know, not even necessarily in the same time zone. How can leaders take that information and cultivate a positive work environment? Am I allowed to say get a coach? Well, you can. I mean, but I think that's, this is the kind of thing people need to hear, right? Like, how do we manage this all? Because I, we're not going back to eight to five in the office every day, right? Not probably ever. So how do people manage it, especially people who, you know, maybe come from a different generation when you didn't work from home at all. And now we're in this place where it's, you know, companies have to accept it. How do, how do leaders build on that? 
Well, firstly, I think if we if we think about it from a positive psychology point of view, it's a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. And this is from a book called Mindsets by Carol Dweck. And basically, she gives a beautiful, uh, it's not too thick of a book, but it's a pretty uh, good description of a fixed mindset thinks in a certain way, has a rigidity, right? It doesn't allow for growth. And this is what we're really trying to create in, in coaching, at least, trying to create awareness around where do we have a fixed mindset? For example, if you've grown up at work, in a corporate environment, believing that people need to be there, show up, clock in and clock out as a certain time because that is efficiency. In coaching, you can recognize what are my themes? What are my theories around this? And then you can start to become aware because you'd ask about how do you start engaging your emotional intelligence? It's not really a feat that you can necessarily do on your own. Yes, you can name your emotions. Yes, you can do good journaling, and there are things that you can do like that. But I find through having a coach, through exploration, awareness, creating, that you can get space and go, you know, I never thought about it like this, but maybe this person can be, right? So maybe we're holding on to a fixed mindset. And all of us have a fixed mindset about something. So it's not to say that one person has it and another person doesn't. But it's really working on that growth. And that's why blue light leadership, that's why we use positive psychology, because there's really good tools that we can have at our fingertips that once you have a coach, afterwards, you don't necessarily need the coach because you have the tools. Okay, so I want want to go back a little bit. After you completed your business degree, thought you were going to be in supply chain, what education did you obtain in order to go this coaching route and, and kind of talk about how long that took you to ultimately make that pivot from finance person to executive coach. So I stayed in finance and I did get some certifications in finance because I really did. Like when I do something, you were going to stick with it. it. You thought you were going to stay. You really thought you were going to be the CFO somewhere. I was like, I am going to do this. I am good. So I did get some certifications in finance, but I think for me, the big transition was outside of my work environment. I started doing that personal development and actually through winning a lot of different um, speaking competitions. And I also do stand-up comedy for fun. Oh my goodness. <laughs> You're just, I mean, a Jill of all trades. I love it. Well, the, the stand-up comedy has been on hold because of COVID and kids in life. But um, <laughs> I think through having some wins in my personal life and my own development, I think that started giving me the, and I had coaching clients way back in the day without the certification. So to answer your question, I also had a company that I worked within and they did certifications. So I did those internal certifications. Um, I trained people in those certifications. I'm basically a certification junkie because I love to learn. In positive psychology, we look at your top five strengths or your top strengths. And one of mine is, I think my second one is love of learning. That's great. For real. Yeah. But you mentioned your kids and I know you, you pivoted a couple of times in your career. And one of those pivots was to stay home and take Mm -hmm. care of your children. So how did that impact you and your career? How did that kind of shape you as, as a coach, as a leader? So here's the truth of it is that our society does not value mothers who have been out of the workforce. And that was a real crash course, school of knock life thing that I had to learn because they see a gap on your resume 
at least in my experience, maybe others have had different experiences and they go, Oh, nope, nope. So it gave me a lot of anxiety and it just gave me a lot of like, Oh my goodness, can I get back into this? I also know that I didn't get chosen because I had kids for certain jobs. So the stigma is very real. Like there's still things that we have to get over in society, but I also knew I had a skill. I also was eager to work. And if I'm hundred percent honest, being a stay-at-home mom is like 10 times more work. It's harder than any, any job, isn't it? <laughs> and you don't get paid for it. So I, you know, it was so hard to stay at home. For me, I really loved working. So I got beautiful time with my daughter and I, I'm grateful for that, but that was hard. So I've often thought about putting on my resume, like leadership boot camp. <laughs> Well, I mean, kids kids will do that to you, right? Like being with them. I mean, that's, I mean, that's training ground. It was a leadership training ground for sure. So I I think what it ultimately, I did apply for some roles and, and I didn't actually end up getting them. And, you know, the truth of the matter was that was good for me because it, it helped me decide, are you doing this or are you not doing this? And I knew I had this, the skills and the ability. And I was like, you know what? It's going to be hard, but I'm going to do this. So then once I was committed, what for me, once I commit, everything follows suit. Yeah. So then I had to look up different certifications and make sure that I was in integrity with what the market wanted. And so, yeah, it's a step-by-step process, you know, for you. So how did the, the transition to coaching, to having your own practice, how did that impact your family? And what was some of the reaction when you said, I'm, I'm going full throttle in, in, in this coaching practice? I think I'm lucky in the sense that me and my husband, we will never uh, stand in the way of each other's dreams. That's powerful. Yeah. So it's hard on us no matter what, but I feel like he's, he believes in me and, and I, him. So I think that's the first step because it was a, it's a big commitment for me to like focus on my work and have everything. I think the bigger conversation for us was when I decided to go back to school and he was like, how are you going to do that? I think that was a bigger commitment. But the key is if you're a woman, you're stronger than you think you work harder than anybody. And if you stop to think about it, it's too much. So you just do it. Good for you. So when someone comes to you, like, how do you advise people? I know you work primarily with executives, but I imagine people, because you have successfully transitioned careers. How do you advise people who say to you, I want to do X or I'm looking to change what I'm doing in my career? So I think it would be, it would depend on what they would ask. So for example, I have had a couple of people say like, oh, should I be a coach or should I do coaching? And I think I will always tell them like, what did your heart say? Like, because I feel like your heart is the courage. Your brain wants to claim your heart is the courage and your gut knows the truth. So when those are in alignment, then it's fine. Some, usually somewhere for people pivoting, the gut or the heart has fear. And that's where it's harder to make those decisions. The interesting thing is I never try to tell somebody what to do. I will always ask like, well, what do you feel is right for you? And then some people that fear just takes over and they can't step forward. And that's okay because maybe they're not ready but it's a leap of faith. So it takes a lot of courage. So if your heart isn't ready to do it, or you don't have support, or let's say 
financially, you need XYZ and you don't have a plan to get XYZ while you're following your career. There are a lot of different scenarios. So I think at the end of the day, I lean on my coaching because I trust that everybody has the right answer for them. So I just ask them some questions and then some people are like, okay, I'm ready. And some people are like, nope, I'm not going to do this. That's that's great advice. So tell me lastly, what is next for you? Or is there another pivot in the future? Are you going to get another certificate? I love how interested you are in studying. So I'm curious what's next for Diana in terms of business, personal, and, and do you continue with this positive psychology? Because it is something so new and fascinating. Yeah. Personally, I think that's where we're headed. So right now, like I um, said before, or maybe even alluded, I'm getting my master's in coaching applied positive psychology. Fascinating. So that will take, I'm hoping maybe less than two years because I'm doing it slowly because I really want to soak in every moment. And I have toddlers and I have a husband who I love and I'm running a business. So that will take time. So in the future, I'd like to get my PhD in that and really focus on how we can help leaders thrive in coaching. This year, I'm getting um, certified in hypnosis. Oh my goodness. So how does that play into what you're, you, you've opened up something totally different. I'm, I'm fascinated now. How does hypnosis, is that more, that's, is that medical or how does that work? So, and this is a cool thing is that late last year, I actually finally took action on a dream that I had had for 10 years to get certified in NLP, which is neuro linguistic programming. This is something I wanted to do for so long. I've read a lot about it. And really what it is, is communication. It's the difference that makes a difference in communication. So how we connect with each other. And I found a great program. I'm in the process of getting certified with as an integrated coach for linguistic programming. As I do this whole process, there are a couple other steps in, in between. So I'll be getting some other certifications on that. So Stay tuned. I love it. I just, I I think that we can all learn from your willingness to keep learning. Cause I I think what happens so so when people stop after they finish college or they get that MBA and they're like, they're done. I think that there's so much power in continuing that, 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 that lifelong learning. What's interesting is somebody actually said to me, a peer of mine, he was like, you know, are you doing this because you don't think you're enough? Like you, you're enough and you have enough information to do what you need to do. And the truth of the matter is, if I look at my strength, this is like a strength that is being overused, like the love of learning part. But I'm just, I'm loving every minute of it. It's a joy in my life. It's not tedious. You know, some people don't like to learn or, and that's okay. It's to each their own. So really, I think about what can I offer my clients? Because I work with a lot of CEOs. I work with a lot of um, high performers. Yeah, high performers, people in uh, high stakes situations. So I want to be able to offer them the best. And I need to continue learning and growing myself. Great. Well, Diana, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to The Power of the Pivot. My name is Alicia Webb. If you have a story idea or a guest idea or just some feedback, you can reach me at brightspotpr.com. I look forward to bringing you the next conversation.